KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is One on One. At first, I didn't enjoy it because I really didn't know what I was doing. And then as I started to progress and do all those things, I started to really get into it. You know, when you see as a coach that your players are starting to implement some of the stuff that they're doing in training into the game, you're like, whoa, this is this is a little bit crazy. And our guest this week, Scott Leacott. He is the head women's soccer coach at Division Three Rowan University in Glassboro, one of the top soccer coaches going. Scott, thanks so much for taking the time. Uh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. So as we are recording this in mid-May, what is life for you? What's at the top of the depth chart of things to, to get done for the program these days? Um, I think, you know, now that everybody's gone from campus, graduation hit last week, so it's really quiet around here and I actually get good parking now. That's a plus, but now it's, you know, summertime is time to get ready for training cramp camp trying to prepare for things for the upcoming season making sure we have everything lined up and ready to go when once we hit august so it's you know something we you know we're still doing a lot of recruiting right now doing a lot of traveling making sure we're getting out to the places that we need to be and you know just getting excited you know once once graduation hits is that's when i really start getting excited for the next year because it's basically right around the corner how much has life changed over the last few years at the division three level for women's soccer because at a lot of other levels of other sports we hear about things like you know the transfer portal and nil and i'm often surprised where the tentacles of that how deep they reach have you noticed the landscape has changed a lot over the last few years well i think you know, the definitely the transfer portal is i mean we we're on it all the time and trying to find a right fit for us but you know you still have one more year of the covid transfers basically the grad students and you know there's some programs out there that are thriving on we we had you know good success for mid semester transfers this year coming from some pretty darn good division 1 programs um, players that have helped that are going to help us for the following year but i think you know the transfer portal it's kind of like a crapshoot. Some people get on it and they don't hear a whole lot. And some people get on it and they're getting contacted by 50 coaches. But it's, you know, I think it'll start to slow down a little bit after the COVID years are done, which is, I believe it's next year is the last year of the COVID uh, years where people are, there's a lot of graduate students on there now. And that's, you know, we, you got to be the right fit. You got to be, you know, you got to be the right fit academically and you got to be the right fit for the program. And sometimes it works for you. Sometimes it doesn't, but the landscape, I think will slow down a little bit once that, once all that COVID stuff gets down. Has it changed the way you approach building your roster? the transfer portal like is it harder to project out I guess is what I'm saying for four or five years of okay this kid I think can be this for x y and z are you able to take more chances on maybe a high upside kid because well if it doesn't work out we can probably find somebody to plug in in the transfer portal has it changed the way you approach kind of building your roster no I think I think we've been fairly successful with transfers over the years and one of one of the reasons is is we we kind of go after in the recruiting process players that we might you know we know we might not get right off the bat but there's that chance that hey we treat them well they like the institution they do this and do that and you know a lot of times they'll look at us when they're looking to transfer um and i think 
we've gone through that throughout my years. I mean, where the I, I look back to like the Jess Babis days where she was the Atlantic 10 Rookie of the Year at Rhode Island. We recruited her knowing that we weren't going to get her. She had Seton Hall, Rutgers, Rhode Island. She had a bunch of schools after her. Didn't work out there. Didn't really like the institution that much and transferred back. I mean, those are the t- that's the type of athlete that we always go after. Maybe we get them, maybe we don't, but we've had success on the rebounds with a lot of these kids. So we haven't changed our approach that much as far as the transfer portals now new with what we were doing 10, 15 years ago. So what is your origin story with soccer? When did you start playing? Oh, I mean, grew up in Delran, which if you know anything about Delran, it's it's soccer town. Um, it's Peter Vermees, Carly Lloyd. Um, you can go back to, you know, like 1983, my brother played on the state championship team at Del Rand. And that's when I started to really, really get into soccer because back then you didn't just play one sport. Back then I was playing baseball, basketball, soccer, anything you can get your hands on. But, you know, it really hit me when I started I started to get really, really serious about eighth grade because, you know, like I said, my brother played with Peter Vermees, who's now sporting Kansas City's coach, and we would go out to the field. My thing was I've always my brother was a goalkeeper. So and they're a little bit crazy. And, you know, you know, the things about goalkeepers always wanted and he was preparing for his college. He played here at Rowan. So he'd always be like, come take shots on. So I was hitting about 200 shots a day for weeks upon weeks upon weeks. And Peter Vermees, we would train with him and all that. And that's where my love actually hit is when I started doing that stuff, Um, not the games or the practices. And then, you know, that's when I started to, all right, baseball. I was probably a better baseball player that time than soccer player. Um, And I broke my dad's heart when I said I didn't want to play baseball anymore. Just got that bug for soccer and basically stopped doing everything else and started playing probably at the end of eighth grade, beginning of ninth grade. And it just took off from there. And, you know, it's it's something where that town, you know, it, it just pulls you in. I mean, the soccer there has been tremendous. And I know the boys program has had so much success over the years. I mean, I won two state championships when I was in high school and it just took off from there. I mean, I don't, I wouldn't say there's one pinpoint reason how it took off. It's just something that back then it wasn't that, you know, my dad never saw a soccer game until we started playing. So just from that point, it was just something that you grew into and loved and loved doing. And still to this day, I can say the same. So the love was there. When do you realize you're pretty good? You know, I I do the same thing when I was a player back in the day, as I do coaching now, I never think I was good enough for anything. Um, and I, and I question it to this day. I think when college coaches start reaching out to you, because that the landscape back then was a lot different. We didn't have the internet. We, you know, you were getting calls on the phone from college coaches and I'd be like, well, how did they get my number? You know, so now I could pick up my cell phone and text somebody right off the bat. And nowadays with the players today, you get a text right back. I think it was probably around the end of my sophomore year in high school when I started at like the beginning of my junior year, just getting phone calls from coaches and be like, well, all right, get on the phone with them. And we didn't know how to talk to college coaches back then. Now we didn't have any seminars that they have now and how to prepare yourself 
throwing out emails. I would just get on the phone and start talking to some coaches out there. And, and I'd be like, all right, well, that's, you know, like, all right, South Carolina just called. So what do I do? Do I go down? Like they're asking me to go down for a visit. I've never been to the school, don't know anything about it. The information wasn't there on the institutions, but you knew like, hey, look, I'm, you know, like anybody else, watch college basketball, watch college football. There was never a soccer game on TV, but you know, then you would look up and we had Soccer America back then and you look up their records and their rosters. But I think that's the biggest thing is I think I kind of knew at that point when I was getting recruited that, all right, this is where I, you know, and I would always consider myself a late bloomer in this sport too. I didn't start getting a lot of recognition until I was about a sophomore in high school. And then it kind of took off from there where I felt, all right, I can do this. And, and I, basically put everything I could into it. What kind of player were you as far as skill set and what you brought to the table? It's hard to describe myself. So kind of going through it, you know, I was more of an attacking player than a defending player. And obviously, you know, to this day, I, everybody I played with like, yeah, you, you know, the defensive end of the field wasn't my uh, forte, but I, I think I offered a lot of uh, quickness to you know, my first three, I, I've never considered myself blazing speed, but I thought that I could outrun everybody within five yards. And I think back then, just technically, I worked so hard at having a great first touch. I worked so hard. And like I said, my shot, I was hitting 200 balls a day with the right and left foot doing services and stuff like that. But, you know, I, I think just that, and I and I thought I used my body extremely well to hold off defenders and, you know, use my teammates well. I mean, one of the things that I was always very proud of through high school was I, a lot of times I had more assists than goals. And, you know, that's kind of what I preach to my kids now. It's not all about scoring. It's about doing everything correctly. And, you know, Back then, we didn't have our parents paying $20 per goal and stuff like that. But it's it, it's something where, you know, it's, it's always hard to talk about yourself in that respect. But I, I just feel like for the first five steps and my technical ability was I uh, was capable of playing with anybody. So you start your college career at, I guess it was Philadelphia Textile at that point, right? Why'd you choose there? And what was the step up? from high school to college like like was it tangible that you had jumped the level you know like I chose that because it was close to home um and some of the back then travel wasn't as easy and Mm -hmm. and doing all that I mean I I looked at schools like UNLV South Carolina Syracuse those types of institutions and you know back then like I said I wasn't the greatest student in the world and I felt like being a little bit closer to home and you know at that point I was totally encompassed by soccer it was something that I wanted to do and I wanted to do the best I could. And at that time, I think Philadelphia Textile had the best program. They were coming off, you know, NCAA tournament appearances. They were the basically the only division one sport at the institution. And they had players from all over the country. I went on my visit, very tiny school at that point. I mean, it's grown tremendously over the over the years with a few name changes, but I just felt very comfortable there very welcomed. But yeah, the changeover in playing high school and club to going to 
a school that uh, I think we only had two freshmen coming in that year because they were upper class laden team was a little bit intimidating at first, but the way the guys welcomed me, you know, they saw that I could do the job right away. They saw that I could play right away. They helped me out along the way. But like I said, it was the scary part was, is it was me and another freshman and we happened to be roommates. We were the only two incoming players that year. So, um, but yeah, the, the pace of play obviously is a lot different. The, the overall intensity of the training was different than, than high school or club. It's just a matter of, you know, acclimating yourself in the environment. Something we tell our players right now, currently around, is acclimate yourself in the environment the quicker you can and the quicker you'll see what you can do. So um, we had, had good success there, and it was something where, you know, I wouldn't change it for the world. You'd spend your last two years, you transfer to Rowan. What was it about Rowan that attracted you? I know you mentioned your brother was playing there. So was it the opportunity? Was it a little closer to home? Kind of what led to that decision? No, I mean, it was probably the same distance from my my house at home. I, you know, I, I got to a point where, it, I mean, I, I love playing soccer still. I love doing all that. But it also got to a point where quality of life. I mean, back when I went to Philadelphia Textile, I think there were 600 students in the school. So um, it was very, very small and not a whole lot to do outside of soccer season. And I kind of knew I wanted to expand on things and say, all right, look, I want more to it than just a soccer experience. You know, I want something that's going to give me the overall college experience. I, I didn't decide to transfer till the summer and I reached out to a few schools, but at that time they you know, didn't have any scholarship money left. They're saying you should have contacted me two months beforehand. I didn't know that, but I think I decided to transfer basically the end of July, early August. And I was already doing camps here at the school. And I'm just, you know, I decided to reach out and say, hey, you know, I'm looking to transfer. And I talked to the head coach here and he's like, yep, we can get everything done. And that's it. I went forward with it. And I wouldn't change it. Like I said, you know, before I wouldn't change it for the world going to Philadelphia Texan. I wouldn't change anything, you know, transferring around. Favorite memories from your college career? Are there certain games, goals, moments that really come to the forefront? I mean, you always remember your first one. Uh, it was the second game of the year. We were playing Alabama A&M, um, which was a powerhouse back then. And I'll, I'll remember that. Also, you know, my freshman year, at homecoming scoring against Rutgers because I know Coach Riasso very well. Uh, he grew up, you know, he was Delran High School's first coach. Um, so I knew him very well. And then scoring two goals against Penn State, you know, this is something that you're always like, wow, you see all these big schools on the on the TV, whether it's football or basketball and all that. And I'm like going out and you know, having some success against these schools. And then just the overall, I mean, three out of my four years went to the NCAA tournament, went to the NCAA tournament my first year at Philadelphia Textile. We beat Princeton in the first round and lost to Virginia in overtime in the second round. Um, scored the game-tying goal against Virginia. It was funny because that's the day that the U.S. qualified against Trinidad and Tobago um, for the World Cup. And Tony Miola wasn't in goal. 
I was like, well, I probably still would have scored if Tony was in there. So that's my that's my thing. I always say. And you know, when my experience at Rowan, I mean, I think I only lost four games total when I was at Rowan, and one of those games was my senior season where I got injured the night before our first NCAA tournament game. It was devastating on my part that I couldn't play and we we lost the game. We were probably, that was probably the best team I've ever played on um, was my senior year at Rowan where, and I'm saying we, even the teams that I played on with the Philadelphia Textile, which was a division one institution, uh, that was very disappointing because I feel like we should have won the game even without me. We've dominated the game. It's one of those things in, in the sport of soccer that not always the best team wins. But, you know, that was the disappointing where I had to end my college career on a on a little bit of an injury and wasn't able to participate. But yeah, you look back on it and it's great to look back on things. And I still can't, re- I still can't believe that I remember this stuff where I can't even remember what I did last week. So that's how you know the memories are, are stuck in your brain for a little bit. We need to take a break. We will have more with Rowan University head women's soccer coach Scott Leacott right after this. This is one on one. And we are back on one-on-one, continuing our conversation with Rowan University head women's soccer coach, Scott Leacott. When does coaching start to figure in? You'd mentioned you were doing camps. Did you always kind of figure once your playing days were done, coaching would be the next logical step? Or does an opportunity present itself and it was the first time you really seriously considered it? What's the journey to transitioning to coaching? Well, once I was done playing, I mean, I, w- I, went, I went into the indoor realm and was drafted by Harrisburg Heat in the indoor league. When I, I was actually in Milwaukee for a year, training and playing with them also. And then that was after my senior year. I went in the spring, stayed there all summer. We did this American Airlines Cup outdoor series with the indoor team. And then the draft came in August, and I was drafted by Harrisburg. And I had like four days to get to Harrisburg for training camp which was kind of hectic. And I actually, the day I was going in to sign my contract with Harrisburg, I tore my ACL that day. So, um, and they kind of said, all right, you got somebody to pick you up. Back then it was, you tore your ACL, your basically career was considered over. That's when I started back here at Rowan. I was finishing up um, in the fall and I, one of our former teammates said, Hey, look, this team's looking for a club coach. So I started coaching in the Medford strikers and I coached that team. It was probably a U 13, U 14 girls team that I took from that age all the way till they graduated in high school. And I'm like, all right, I kind of like this, you know, it's keeping me with the game. Didn't have to worry about like re-injuring myself coaching, but it was something where I started to really, really, I, at first I didn't enjoy it because I really didn't know what I was doing. And then as I started to progress and do all those things, I started to really get into it. And, you know, when you see as a coach that your players are starting to implement some of the stuff that they're doing in training into the game, you're like, whoa, this is, this is a little bit crazy. And they just took it and went with it. And I took as a coach and went with it with, you know, all sorts of studying up on stuff and just got that, you know, I was like, all right, this is something I might be able to, and I was working full time at that stage. Um, I was in the business field. I didn't like it. Um, I knew I wasn't a suit and tie guy. And then I reached out to our coach here at Rowan and said, look, I love this. I love doing it. 
can I come on staff? Came on staff for a couple of years and um, the women's coach left. So we kind of co-coached the women and I was still assistant with the men at that point. And then just then the natural progression was, all right, look, is this something I want to do? Is this something I want to do for the rest of my life? And I said, absolutely. From there on out, I've been here. Were you playing when you tore your ACL? Yeah, I was. Um, it was the, I believe it was the second or third day of training camp. And I thought I made a good impression on them at that out in Harrisburg. It was the indoor league. It was the only league then in the United States. And like I said, that afternoon I tore my ACL and they kind of said, all right, have a good day. No contract, no nothing. Um, not that you know, soccer players were making good money back then, but I always still wanted to play, you know, if I was capable of playing, you know, that was the devastating part. But the great part is, is I stayed in the game coaching and being able to be around it and haven't left it since. That being said, how difficult though, was it to put the playing part to bed, especially when it's kind of taken from you like that and it's not on your terms? Was, did it take a while to kind of be become at ease with the idea that your playing days were done that's i think that's the, always the hardest part for any athlete is knowing when you're done it wasn't easy um i never took it very well it's just one of those things where all right when am i going to snap out of this when are you going to like you have to move on you have to do those things and you have to get on. And at that point I was, you know, I didn't have my surgery until a year after I injured it. And by that time I was like, do I want to recover? There wasn't a whole lot of opportunities out there then. And, you know, just men's league and stuff like that. And I did, I came back, I played in men's league and got that competitive fire back a little bit, but I'm like, what could have happened from that? Because at that stage, two years later, MLS started and I was like, well, could I have done that? Could I have been that if I didn't injure myself? Could I have worked hard to go towards that? I see like a lot of people that I played club ball with and all that were in the league. And I'm like, huh, you know, could have, should have, would have. But at that point, I was content of what I was doing and how I was going about things. So that's always the hardest part for any athlete is to know that it might be their last competitive game that they ever have. And that's the toughest thing for anybody. So I think it was 99 when you took over the program, when you take over. And I know you had, you mentioned co-coaching and you were on staff with the men. So you had a lay understanding of the lay of the land, but when you're the person, when you're the point person, was it overwhelming at all? Were there things you didn't realize you had to deal with that were suddenly under your umbrella? Like what's that first year, not even the soccer part, just starting to develop a roster and, and a program and a culture. What was that like? I think, you know, the best part is, and I think the assistants are more in tune a lot with outside of soccer. Um, so anything outside of soccer didn't surprise me or, didn't overwhelm me. It's the soccer part, basically. It's now it's all right. It's your program. You've got to bring in the players. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. And it's basically it's when you're an assistant coach, it's I think sometimes it's harder to be an assistant because, you know, like my assistants work extremely hard and don't get all the credit. All right. Like, hey, you know, head coach has 300 wins. No, well, that 300 wins, the assistant coaches were a huge, huge part of that. But I feel like, you know, it's just that matter of, all right, am I doing, and I still to this day, second guess everything I do. I mean, that's just my nature. 
but it's always like, all right, did I do this right? Did I do that right? Am I doing things the right way? How do I change this up? How do I do that? Not that's the overwhelming part is how to create that culture that might have not been there before, how to create that culture in the way you want the team to succeed and, and be that way. And I think it took, like I said, I think it took like four or five years to create a, you know, the culture that we wanted, the culture that, you know, and to break away from the old culture. And, you know, in the beginning, I think I did things a lot the same way as our men's program was doing. And then I started breaking away from that a little bit and saying, all right, well, this is this is what we want to create, how we want to create it, and went from there. And I think from that stage, I, you know, one of my biggest philosophies, one of the things that I wanted to create is I want I want these kids to have ownership, and I want them to have ownership in the program. And what that means is it's not all, you know, I didn't want it to be a dictatorship. I didn't want to say, all right, this is the way it's going to be, how it's going to be. I want them to you know, make decisions. I want them to decide, hey, what's good, what's bad. I also, the biggest thing that I think we've turned the corner on in that first five or six years that I was the head coach is I want them to have fun. I want them to enjoy the whole college experience. And I think my experience with my college career helped me tremendously and adapting the that new culture that I wanted to see in this program. And still to this day, they have the freedom to do what they want to do it, as long as it doesn't affect their academics or if it doesn't affect their athletics. I want them to be college kids. I want them to enjoy everything about it. I always say to this day, college is the best time of your life. Enjoy it. You know, people stress in and, you know, stressing about academics, stressing about soccer. No, just, in, you know, try to enjoy the overall experience and get that done and make sure that we're not forcing them to do this or do that. We confide in our players all the time and say, hey, what do you think about this? How do you think about it? Because they're the ones going through it. I'm, you know, I'm an old man now. Just, <laughs> I mean, I have young kids and stuff like that, but I think it's something where I think they, if they feel that they have a little bit of ownership and things and how things are run, they're going to give you the best that they can give you. And that's something to this day, I think has worked very well for us. What are you most proud of during your time as head coach at Rowan? Is there an accomplishment or the way the program is referred to, you know, you've had a ton of success, but what would you put at the top of the list of things you're proud of? I mean, I think first and foremost is um, when you get, text messages from former players and like I just got one this morning uh showing you know their two-year-old son kicking a soccer ball stuff like that and I think you know the relationships that are built up throughout the years of you know your alumni just staying close with them and seeing them build their families and helping them out as much as you possibly can in that respect as far as you know we have a lot of coaches out there in high school who are former players and they still reach out and say, Hey, when you were doing this, what, what were you, you know, what were the goals of this? And just helping that out along the way is something that you'll always cherish and remember. But, you know, the ultimate thing is, is just building those strong relationships up with everybody involved in the program, not only just the players, but the parents. And, you know, you always want them. And the, that's what we always say is, 
you know, in the, in the life of college athletics, if they have a good experience here and they loved it here and they, they enjoyed their time here, guess what they're going to do later on? They're going to donate back to the program. So um, now they've always helped out along the way, but there's not one aspect that I could say is, you know, the most rewarding, I think just the overall experience. And, you know, it's something, you know, where not a lot of coaches, and I've said this before, is not a lot of coaches get the coach in their backyard and somewhere where they went to school. And I thought, you know, if you look at our athletic department, we probably have over half of our coaches who were wrong graduates. So there's a little bit of pride, a little bit of, little bit of um, everything that's being put into the programs. But, it, you know, just, you know, you look back on the wins and you say they're great and all that. But it's just, I think, the overall relationships and the, the overall environment of the program and the overall basically just enjoying everything about it. Um, I still come to work. I still enjoy coming into the office. I still, you know, every day, I, I never felt like it was work. Um, I never felt like, all right, oh man, I got to go in today. Like I get to wear shorts and t-shirt every day. I don't have to put on a suit. I don't, you know, I'm not up on a roof in 120 degree weather. It's a lot of things you look back on and you're just thankful that you are where you are and um, something you always try to, to be the best and know you're not always going to be the best, but you're always striving towards that. You mentioned earlier how you are constantly second guessing things you do. And as someone kind of cut from that same cloth, number one, I know it can be exhausting, but does it, how much of your success do you think attribute to that? Because you never are taking anything for granted and you are never, it sounds like you're always like kind of doing a analysis of every decision in your head. Was that the right thing? Why did I make that decision? You know, you're never on autopilot. And like I said, it can be exhausting, but it also is, I would think probably a reason why you have the success because nothing is taken for granted. Yeah. I think it's part of the downfall um, of things, but I do like, especially during the season, I'm all, you know, when we're going through the film and, and I'm like, all right, that probably wasn't the best decision. During the off season, I do shut down. I don't, unless, you know, during the spring, we go through the film and all that. And I'm like, why did I do that? Like, what, you know, why am I doing this? And what is the reasoning for this? And I'm writing down, like my desk right now is a mess because we, I'm taking notes. If I think, you know, something, and it's a strange, strange thing, but I'm always like, something will just pop up in my mind and I'm like, Ooh, okay, that's good. Let me write that down. Now my desk is full of all this stuff that I don't know why it pops in my head at that point, but I'll wake up at two o'clock in the morning and be like, Oh, there it is. And I'll have to write it down because I'll forget. <laughs> but it's something where I'm like, we always, we have coaches meetings all the time, especially during the season. And I'm like, did we do the right thing there? And, you know, I'm not looking for approval. I want my assistant coaches to say, no, we didn't. And so we don't do that again. You know, I think it's part of the fear of repeating something that's not going well. You know, this year, I kind of kept a status quo thing because, I mean, we didn't give up. We weren't down in a game this year until our last game of the season. So we didn't face a lot of adversity that way. So I'm like traditional, like baseball parent, you know, wearing, you know, if your team's doing well or, traditional baseball player if your team's doing well you're not changing your socks I'm not changing anything 
So in that respect, I feel like, you know, you always have things running through your mind constantly and, you know, you're always trying to do the right thing, but you're never always going to do the right thing. But you always got to like, again, like I talked about earlier is you always have to strive to do that. And I think a lot of time in coaches want perfection, never going to achieve perfection, but always strive to achieve for that. So, and that's always running through my mind. You talked earlier when you were talking about your, you know, high school playing days and how soccer was never on and recruiting, you have to go to soccer America to learn about schools and stuff like that. Safe to say the landscape for soccer has completely changed in that standpoint where it's on constantly. You can find out information everywhere. In addition, women's sports over the last 25 years have taken a quantum leap as far as accessibility, as far as where you can find it, where you could see it, the coverage of it. What has it been like to kind of be on the front lines to see not just the sport, but women's sports in general kind of explode? Yeah, I mean, as a father of two daughters, I'm thankful it did. It, it's just unbelievable that now, you know, like you know, we're talking about back in the day, I used to wake up every Sunday morning at like 6.30 to watch soccer in Germany or soccer day in Germany. I forget what it was called, but it was like the only time it was ever on TV. Now you can throw on like, you know, you can see the NWSL games and you can see the women's national team, all that kind of come into effect for these young girls to have somebody to, to look up to. You know, I think it was the Mia Hamm era of the national team that really sparked things going forward with, you know, young female athletes and saying, hey, look, this is one day I want to be able to do this. And before that, it was, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of that to aspire to and a whole lot of things that female athletes could do after they were done college. And now you see it, it's like unbelievable how they have the draft and have that everything going on that, you know, these really, really, really good players have a future in this sport if they want it, um, if they work hard enough. And just going by that, I mean, we watch it all the time. I mean, my there's soccer constantly on TV. My kids are soccer players and lacrosse players. So, you know, we put a soccer game on, they're glued to the TV. And that, that's something where whether it's men's or women's, but they prefer to watch the women's, the, the women's league play. They prefer to watch the U.S. women's national team play. But I just feel like yeah, there's so many more opportunities out there for these athletes. And, you know, for some, for some, it's what they want to achieve. It's what they want to do. And for others, you know, when they're done playing college, that's it. They know it. But the opportunities are there for them. It's just unbelievable being able to sit down and watch the sport. And, you know, I always look at it this way. I love watching games when there's zero stress on the line. It's when I can most enjoy it and, and do those things. I hate watching our games. Like, I love game day, but I'm like, All right, well, what if this happens? What if that happens? I could care less when I'm watching these games and say, you know what? Finally, in time to enjoy the sport a little bit. <laughs> you know, my favorite days are the training days, not the, you know, I love going out there and I love doing the training, but, you know, we, we have it good right now with, 
with especially soccer on TV and especially the opportunities that young female athletes have. And this wasn't here 20 years ago. So it's, it's exciting moving forward. Final question. You've had a ton of success, as we mentioned, I think something like four times as many wins as losses over the years, consistent NCAA tournament appearances, runs in NCAA tournaments. Is there anything on the list of goals not yet accomplished that you want to check off before it's all said and done? Um, you know, it was, it was funny cause I was talking to, I was talking to one of the coaches in the department the other day and I was saying, I've, I've coached more games than I'm going to coach. I had more yesterdays in coaching than I do tomorrow's, you know, obviously you want to win every day, which is the hardest thing to do as a coach, but I don't have any, I, I don't have any regrets about how we've done things. I mean, obviously, you know, you run into certain situations um, where players aren't happy and all that. It's very hard to make everybody happy. Um, but that's the ultimate goal is I want people to come through the program and enjoy their time here and do that. You obviously want to win. You want to win conference titles. You want to go into the NCAA tournament. You want to make the deepest run you possibly can to win national titles and all that. But uh, the overall experience of the athletes, um, the overall experience they have at the university is the ultimate goal. Seeing them graduate, seeing them have families, seeing all that. But in a personal aspect, obviously, you want to win every single game that you're in. But you also want to do it the right way. You want to experience it the right way. But no, I don't. I don't think there's any there's anything I can say that I want to achieve going forward. You know, we just want to do things the right way and win as many games as we can. Because yeah, it is all about winning. Um, <laughs> you know, that's one saying I hate. It's not all about winning. Yeah, it's it is about winning, but it's about winning the right way and about winning with the proper culture and the winning with the proper players. And, you know, looking back on it, something that my daughters are kind of more into it than I am that I'm closing in on my hundredth loss of my career. So, you know, and I'll take that the same way we took uh, 300 wins, whatever. Those things don't really matter to me. You know, we're just, you know, like we talked about with um, Demetrius, I, you know, it changes your perspective. And I think my perspective changed a little bit when I had my daughters. Um, uh, had the perspective of like, hey, we want to win, but we want to win making sure that everybody has a great experience. I just want to go into the next year, prepare my team the best we possibly can, do the things the right way, and let it, let it flow on the field. Scott Leacott, thanks so much for taking the time. Yeah, thank you. And that will do it for this week's episode. Want to thank Rowan University head women's soccer coach Scott Leacott for being our guest this week. And at the end of the interview, you heard Scott reference Demetrius. Well, that's Demetrius Poles, who was the Rowan University head women's basketball coach, a wonderful coach, a better man. Unfortunately, he passed away right before we had recorded the interview. Genuinely really enjoyed every opportunity I had to talk with Demetrius Poles, and he will be missed. If you like this show, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and a review. You can follow the show on Twitter at one on one pod. You can follow me on Twitter as well at MattLeon1060. Thanks so much for listening, and be sure to check us out again next week when we bring you another conversation with someone you should know more about.